Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. There is a word that a lot of people are saying nowadays, and it can really be impactful to your health, to your life. It's super important, but a lot of times it's it gets confused. The word is inflammation. Now, when you hear that word right away, many of us think, oh, you know, you hit your hand on a counter or whatever, and... Uh, your, your arm, your hand, whatever becomes inflamed. Well, inflammation is inside your body and it can bring on disease. It can bring on illness. We are going to talk about that today with somebody who helps a lot of people, specifically women that have a military background as she does. And she's coach Lorraine inflammation. We got to talk about this. Welcome. How are you? Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing well today. Checking out the wonderful weather here in New Jersey. Yeah, kind of the same thing in the, the New York area. We're not the, that far away. Uh, not too far. <laughs> nice for the, the beginning of February. So inflammation, honestly, after I read more and more about it and hear more, it's, it's kind of scary uh, that the things we could be eating could be causing inflammation within our bodies. Yes, indeed. So, I mean, as most people know, we have inflammation from time to time, but we need to recognize that there are two types of inflammation. There's acute inflammation, and then there's chronic inflammation. Now, we need inflammation because that helps to keep our bodies in tune so it knows what to do in times of hurt and pain and, and different things. Our body kicks into action. Our white blood cells, you know, rush to the area where we bumped our hand or maybe where we had surgery and basically starts preparing our body parts. Also, our cholesterol is involved in all of this, transporting nutrients to heal those areas of our body. What is quite damaging and what people don't pay attention to is chronic inflammation. And that's the inflammation that you may not know that you have, Mm. but it's going on in our body day after day after day until an issue comes up and then we may be in the worst way. So these are the kind of things we need to be pay attention to. Which is kind of scary because this stuff could be happening behind the scenes and you might not even know that you, you have inflammation. That is correct. I mean, the obvious things with chronic inflammation is fatigue, fever, joint pain, and things of that nature. But sometimes when you have that, your brain fog, eye problems, um, additional flu-like symptoms, gastrointestinal problems, insulin resistance, muscle weakness, skin issues like rashes or hides, and just overall body pain. Those are all related to chronic or systemic inflammation. What do you do about this? Is Is it more of a prevention aspect where you're watching what you're eating and just not eating those, uh, I guess, those things that can cause inflammation? So it's twofold. There are some things that are anti-inflammatory to kind of um, minimize inflammation, and it's also avoiding the things that cause inflammation. So there's two tracks that we need to be mindful of. Um, Foods that are anti-inflammatory are um, certain types of vegetables, uh, um, and even though we don't think of it, even meats, um, not our processed meats, but certain meats are anti-inflammatory. 
even though there's a, tra a chain of thought that um, red meat is inflammatory, that's not necessarily proven to be so. So we have to be mindful of what we eat, the, the amount we, that we eat. Sometimes overeating can cause inflammation because our bodies can only handle but so much at any given time. And anything in excess is going to be floating in the body trying to figure out, what do I do with this? How do I get it out of my system? And because we've overburdened our system to deal with these things, it can cause inflammation. Let's go back to some of the things that could be going on within our body. So hypothetically, you could have, uh, let's say, a 50-year-old adult. Uh, what, what could be going on behind the scenes that they don't know based on what they've been eating uh, or their lifestyle? So what some of the people, I mean, carbohydrates is one of the big things that people don't are not mindful of. Um, when carbohydrates build up in the body, causing um, high insulin, continuous high insulin in our body, um, obesity, um, alcohol consumption, if you're a smoker, all these are things that lead to inflammation in the in the body. You may be you may have developed an, in, an intolerance of certain things within your system that become toxic to you, may not be toxic to someone else, but it becomes toxic for you. And the buildup of these things in your system and your body unable to deal with um, getting rid of it um, adequately um, can basically lead to inflammation. Um, one of the things I, the research that I listened to or read um, recently is there's a lot of people who have lower back pain we think it's just all age, and mm. sometimes they don't pay attention to it. But when there's an adjustment in the diet, sometimes that pain goes away. Because we may have, over the years, from heavy lifting of things or even pregnancy, something as simple as pregnancy, could be a trigger or the, what could initiate back pain. But when you have this continued um, high insulin, it starts to bombard the body and then can lead to the inflammation and back pain. And until we change our diets, we're going to be continuing to impact those areas that are susceptible to potential um, inflammation. Uh, <laughs> can't believe you're talking about this because I think I have that. Mm. I'm not even kidding. I will feel lower back pain and think that, oh, you know, it's just the way I was leaning. And then I, I've been more mindful, had some digestion issues, and it seems to be okay now. But I, I would be more mindful of what I'm eating and wondering if there's a connection to that pain. I'm not even kidding, Lorraine. I, I'm serious. So now I'm wondering if, if there's a connection to what I'm eating and that lower back pain. Where, where would the pain be coming from typically? could be spinal, um, it could be muscular, but wherever the pain is, it's basically um, a buildup of um, toxins or something that the body hasn't been able to get rid of. It could be the white blood cells, the, the macrophages that are just building up and causing the inflammation to grow bigger and bigger. And as you, I mean, throughout the day, you, you, know, you rest overnight and your body feels some amount of relief. And then throughout the day, as you, you're pounding on the floor from walking or leaning a certain way, you basically trigger the, those, those pains. So you would have to look or explore, I should say, things to reduce the inflammation so that 
it doesn't impact you on a day-to-day basis. Is there any way to know how much inflammation somebody has within their body at a given time? Um, not that I'm aware of. There may be ways to measure that um, because at any given time, I mean, there are tests that they can take that in terms of measuring your, your, your white blood cells, what's your white blood cell count, and quite often when you do, especially for people who are diabetic and certain conditions, that's one of the things that the medical professions look at is what is your, your, your WB, your, your WBC, your white blood count at any given time. So that is one indicator to say that something is going on with you that's not right. Wow. Um, and even your cholesterol, like I said, your cholesterol is part of your transport system for nutrients in your body. And when um, certain things are high, quite often it's because it needs to transport additional nutrients to different, to various parts of your body. So there's ways that will, will show indication that something may be going on that you need to address. Um, I'm sure the average person doesn't even know about this. And it's, I, I believe, so important. And it's the... It's the, the, the beginning stages of, of disease and a chronic illness, right? That's correct. That is correct. Hmm. They say I that mean, there, there are certain foods that typically cause inflammation. Can we talk about more of those? Sure. Sure. What I are mean, they? What should we be avoiding? Sugar. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what? In the last year, I've been hearing that one. I don't use sugar, but it's in everything as well. We're, we're, we're not just talking about sugar at your table. It's those things that have that, that sugar in it. Correct. So um, when we say sugar or anything that can uh, convert to glucose, it's all the white substances that we eat, um, excessive fruit juices, excessive fruits that have high sugar, because we all know that most berries are a lot healthier for us because the sugar, the glucose or fructose in berries is much lower than, let's say, in watermelon or orange juice and things of that nature. So um, foods that convert to glucose within the body very easily are the ones that you need to stay away from. When you think about most starches, which are carbohydrates which convert to glucose, anything that's a resistant starch tends to do better in your body. Your body will process it at a, a better rate so that your insulin doesn't spike, which will result in inflammation. Hmm. Um, I think one of the big conversations these days is red meat. And the only information they truly have when it comes to red meat is association and not causation. So if you look at most of the research, um, there is no um, scientific research that actually says that red meat causes inflammation. Certain types of inflammation, red meat may, in terms of, especially if it's a processed red meat, because we should avoid as much processed food as we possibly can and eat as much whole, healthy food, hopefully that you got within your local market and that was imported from some foreign country, um, is what's more beneficial for you. Yeah, the red meat thing... um... I wonder about, it's gotten a bad rap in, in years. People would talk about cholesterol and things like that. But then you, you could talk to others that are big fans. Hey, yo, red meat's great for you. You know, in moderation, like anything else. Um, what's your, your personal feeling, Coach Lorraine? 
my personal opinion that there's no there's no harm in eating red meat, just like anything else. Everything is is good for you within moderation. Um, I think I have too many friends and associates that are um, carnivore eaters. By the way, they they eat a carnivore diet, mm-hmm. and their bodies do well with red with red meat. Now, is that good for every single person? No, you have to figure out for yourself what your body's able to tolerate. But I don't see any harm in, in red meat. The more grass-fed animals, animals, uh, ruminant animals that, you know, animals that graze in, um, <clears throat> who have the ability to digest greens that we don't, is what's better for you than just um, animals that are fed grains. So that's necessarily, those type of animals, their the bioavailability of nutrients in their um, muscle mass is not as uh, can lead to inflammation. <laughs> so you have to be mindful of the, the source of your meats. What is the difference between when we talk about grass-fed and grain-fed in the average person's mind? Uh, well, it's organic. I mean, it's you know, how bad could it be? The grains are good, but yeah, let's let's talk about that because I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding it. So grains, for many of us is inflammatory. Um, yes, in many cases, in terms, in terms of our um, digestive system, grains may be good for bulking up our stool, but does bulking up your stool, is that really something you want to do? Why make your stool bigger? I don't, I'm, I don't, that theory I don't quite get. I just want my stool to get out of me. So, <laughs> quite frankly, adding um, healthy fat to my diet, diet help that stool to slip on out, essentially. So I, I don't know. I don't take to the, the thought that adding more fiber, you know, reasonable fiber is good, but adding more fiber and grains is not necessarily the best thing for you because grains can actually irritate your digestive system and cause um, an irritable SIBO, some intestinal um, bowel distress, and for some people that can end up being something very chronic. So you have to really pay attention to how you feel, that if you're someone who experiences a lot of bloating, um, discomforts when you're eating food, uh, constipation, then maybe you need to make some adjustments with your diet. Grass-fed meats, if your ruminant animals are able to break, they have the stomach, the double stomachs to actually digest and break down and make certain things bioavailable when they absorb it in their bodies. We don't have that ability in our system. So eating it, and even if we take the grass and juice it, we're only getting so much of what we need. So if you want to do what the cows do, then maybe you're going to end up having to eat just as much as the cows eat to get what you need for nutrients which is not necessarily a good thing. Thank you. Um, Thank you for sharing that because the thought is that, well, grains are, we buy multi-grain bread, right? And the thought is, well, that's okay. That's good. That's fiber, et cetera, et cetera. But when it's ingested by an animal and then you're, I guess, eating the byproduct of that, uh, that's what I'm detecting from you. Not a good thing. Correct. Wow. Wow, because in my mind, grain, grass, yeah, it's all the same thing. A little bit different. 
kind of the same thing. Not so much. Right, because grains are the seeds of the grass, not the grass itself. Right. So we're, I don't, if you, seeds of plants, they want to survive. So they find ways to protect themselves. So it, your body doesn't have the ability to absorb it. Now you may have the microbes in your body to break it down, and you may not, because depending on your lifestyle over the course of years, if you've had antibiotics, your microbiome may not be um, structured in such a way to deal with certain grains within your body. So you really, really, like it says, things should be, you don't want no one to, tr to treat you as a number, as a statistic. That's why it's important for you to be your own health ambassador and take control and really get, um, challenge your medical profession and engage with them as far as how they're addressing your health. Well, that I've often heard from, from people in the medical field that you are your own best advocate when it comes to your health. Like nobody's going to care about you like you care about you. So you got to take those steps and be proactive. Uh, how about some other things that we should uh, talk about when, when it comes to inflammation? So, like I said, when it comes to the, the biggest thing is like truly paying attention to how your body reacts to food. One of the things I am a big advocate of is that you have to um, don't eat all the time. Take breaks. If you can create your own eating window that works for you and give your body the time to rest and heal, you will be in a better position than you would otherwise. Just like how you need to be able to sleep at night, um, even for people who, who have their hair, you don't add a perm to your hair every single day. You take breaks before, you know, six weeks later, you might go and get another hair hairdo. Well, your, your digestive system needs that rest also. So whether you want to fast once a month, once a week, or um, do daily fast, find what works for you so that your digestive system can take a break and rest and recover. When we talk about getting that done, what can we do? Is it just occasionally fasting? Is it a clean out? I'm going to be transparent. I had a colonoscopy, endoscopy a couple of weeks ago. That was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going there. I'm, and I just saw the doctor with a follow-up the other day. And I said to him, Doc, I don't know what you did, the Roto-Rooter, whatever it was. Uh, things are working way better. Fantastic. I don't know what's happening. Maybe it was a clean out. Um, it, it, was almost, it was almost like a reset to my digestive tract, if you will. And maybe that's what you're talking about here. I mean, that, is, that can be a big plus. I mean, a lot of, I remember growing up in, in uh, I remember high, not, not just high school, but the, during the summer days at, at home, at the end of every summer, my mom would be giving us some concoction to clean us out because of all the junk we ate all summer. Yeah. So that for the rest of the year, our bodies function better. And all, um, all cultures have some form of um, detox or, mm -hmm. in, um, or fasting that's built into their culture. Yeah. So we have to be mindful of what really works for us. Um, not having breakfast every day. We used to believe that uh, breakfast is the most important meal in the day. Yes, breakfast is, but it doesn't mean breakfast at 6, 7, 8 o'clock every morning. Breakfast is actually just when you break your fast, not the time that you eat, but just the breaking of the fast. You want to go into your day gently and not necessarily 
um, bombard your body. So mm. if you can push back that morning clock and every now and then, or, or even all the time, instead of eating at morning before you go to work or before 10 o'clock, maybe every now and then push it back to um, 10, 11. And if you can even push it back to 2 o'clock, that's even better. So you narrow your eating window as much as possible. Try to eat during daylight hours and not when it's dark. That's one thing to, to be kind of mindful oh, of. Why, why does that make a difference? So your body goes into a more like a resting stage based on sun, sunrise and sunset. Your melatonin um, rises, your cortisol goes up at different times of the day. Um, it's all a part of the body functions when your body is in its restorative stage and when it's in its um, building, not building stage, in its active stage. So cortisol means work, 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 and it needs to be able to do certain things, have certain foods present. And um, melatonin is more rest and recovery, and this is when we need to shut the body functions down as best as we can and allow for the restoration. It's funny you say melatonin because I recently heard the amount of melatonin that we should be taking. And it was my belief that you, you can do up to 10, 10 milligrams. Uh, usually you find it in five and 10. And a couple of people told me in the, in the medical world, uh, and maybe this is recent uh, research, but it should be no more than eight. And that addition, even that two, uh, on, can be not detrimental, but counterproductive, uh, causing you not to be able to sleep um, in that you have reserves of melatonin and that stimulates the reserve and then your body can't make as much anymore. Something like that, but don't go to 10. I thought, yeah, 10, <laughs> give, me, give me the most. I want to sleep really good, but that's not the right way we should be thinking. That's what I heard. Yes, that is correct. The optimal way for your body to function is when you can make your own as opposed to getting it from the drug the, the counter. So you have to look at different ways that you can improve your melatonin production and reduce your cortisol. But they basically work one against the other. Mm. That's the yin and yang of how our system works. So paying attention to in the mornings um, when you can get direct sunlight into your eyes to get the cortisol going and get the melatonin down. You try to take advantage of that as much as you can. And I don't mean staring at the sun, but just right. going outside and letting that sun kind of permeate your body. It triggers certain things within, in your system. At nighttime, blue light, adding blue light um, to as many surfaces, any digital surfaces as possible, mm -hmm. and deciding on the time of day when you need to turn off the phone, turn off the TV, and maybe just read a book. That allows your melatonin to build up, cortisol to go down, and it puts you in that sleep and restorative state. So as much as you can, you can accomplish that, especially when you take, um, we take, we're poor at taking advantage of our personal leave time. Instead of us really um, taking that leave and restoring our bodies, mm -hmm. we're finding different things to do, going um, surfing and doing the things that actually. Um, excite our bodies and get us going instead of relaxing and rebuilding ourselves. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've made that mistake over the years, uh, not taking all my vacation time, thinking that, hey, I want to I wanna show up as a uh, model employee. That was the dumbest thing I ever did. Because <laughs> <laughs> we forget, you earned that time. Yeah. You earned it. Take it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. 
Uh, Coach Lorraine, great having you on here. A lot of great information uh, we've talked about today. If somebody wants to, let's say a woman is listening and wants to engage you in a conversation or possibly use you to uh, coach them back to uh, better health, how do they do that? The best way to reach me is through my website, LorraineCuff.com, and book an appointment to see me, and we can have a talk and see how we can work together and see how we can identify ways of improving your health. Fantastic. LorraineCuff.com. Learned a lot today. Thank you uh, so much for being here. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And we're coming right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.